So, well, it is kind of dark. So, I appreciate Matt filling in last week for me. Uh, we were out in Gatlinburg area. And anybody in here believe in Bigfoot? Anybody in? I know it's just, it's out there. But I can see Ben's eyes all big back there. So, well, we stopped by a Bigfoot uh, uh, shop out there, and it's quite disappointing. But it was a great time. We had evidence of a squatch that first night, but we believe it just turned out to be a bear uh, walking around trying to snoop in the trash. It was just funny, though, watching all these Finding Bigfoot episodes. The sounds of bears and the sounds of Bigfoot are eerily same. And the sounds of wolves and the sounds of Bigfoot are eerily the same. And so we had a good time out there, you know, squatching. And so I appreciate Matt filling in. He's not in here this evening. Uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, so I was listening to a lot of it last last night, was it, as far as Genesis 22 and Chuck Missler information and just the whole aspect of Abraham and Isaac and God providing the sacrifice, the Haggadah, and it was just fascinating study, and so I appreciate him and, and uh, all of y'all's uh, being here as well. That being the case, like I said, we're going to jump back into our Easter apologetic series. This is what I was going to do before but I didn't have enough time to prep for it. The thing about apologetics is not a lot changes through the years. Whether it's apologetics, whether it's looking at the five basic arguments for the existence of God that were around from the time of Aquinas and even earlier, to what we're talking about today, arguments don't really change a whole lot through the years. So what I like about Easter apologetics and Christmas apologetics is we get to understand where critics are coming from as far as some of these topics and see what are some classical arguments for and against and see do they make any biblical sense. And that's what we're talking about tonight. So a couple weeks back, uh, we looked at the aspect of uh, what day was Jesus Christ crucified. That wasn't more of a critic aspect. That was more of a theological debate that's being raged. But tonight is more about the critics. Just like the Christmas holiday, Easter is one of those Christian holy days that it seems like all the skeptics, all the critics are all of a sudden doctorates in religious history and religious mythology. And everybody knows everything there is about Sumerian legends, Akkadian legends, and everything else. And so I want to talk about being Easter. What are some of the arguments that people have as far as the Christian aspect of Easter? You see, uh, with Easter, I just looked this up today. You have the Universal Life Church Monastery. How many people have heard of that organization or monastery? Good. I haven't either. But basically, they have an article out there, The Real History of Easter, a Pagan Holiday. That's from the Universal Life Church Monastery. Then you also have from ancientorigins.net, The Ancient Pagan Origins of Easter. Then from Sacred Science, you have The Pagan Roots of Easter. What's interesting is, the first one was published April 8th of 2022. The second one was published April 9th of 2020. The third one was published April 4th of 2015. All of those were being published around the time of Easter. And so it seems like every Easter, every Christmas, the same tired arguments are brought up. But a lot of times, people within the church don't know about the arguments. They don't know about the claims. And they don't know about the defenses or even the attacks on how to go ahead and respond. And that's what I want to look at this evening. When you're looking at either of these articles, there's really three major aspects 
that they argue that Easter is born out of paganism, okay? So before I really go into what these three are, I'm curious, right off the bat, just really quick in a couple words. We don't have to use a microphone for this part, but what arguments have you heard personally that Easter was born out of paganism? Just very briefly. The name Easter. The name Easter, okay. Bunny, uh, the eggs, fertility goddess. The bunny, eggs, fertility goddess. Year, okay. Okay, the crop cycle. All right, anything else? Hmm? Ishtar, okay. Greek gods of resurrection, okay. So basically when you're looking at these articles, you're going to come across three major arguments on why they believe Christianity was born out of paganism. The first argument is the fact that the name Easter is etymologically pagan that the name Easter, the word Easter, is a pagan word. And they use that to argue that the season of Easter was born out of paganism. The second thing is the fact that the church borrowed the date of Easter from pagan celebrations. That's the second argument, that Easter falls, the church Easter falls on the same time that pagans celebrated their aspect of Easter, if you will. And then the third argument is the fact that the Christian account of Easter is simply a retelling of a Sumerian legend of somebody by the name of Tammuz and Ishtar. And those are the three main arguments that people use. So what I want to do is I want to go ahead and explain where these critics are coming from from each of these. Then I want to pause and I want to look at each one individually. And I want to ask you all your thoughts, how you've responded any questions, comments, or clarifications you, you have, and then I'll let you know what my summation is on each of those aspects. Clear as mud? And so we have a microphone for those that are watching so that you can hear everybody because sometimes I just don't have the vocal cords to say everything as eloquently as a lot of the people in here speak. So the first one, the Eastern name is Pagan etymologically. Basically, the word Easter is pagan. So basically, it goes like this. Easter is a pagan holiday because the name itself is derived from a pagan goddess. Okay. Basically, if you were to look into a couple Bible dictionaries, let alone the, if you go to one of my favorite websites for Bible study is Etymology Online. And if you go there, you can actually type in an English word, and it'll show you how the word was created in English, how old it is, whether it's a 14th century, 2nd, 16th century word, and what it really derived from other languages. Because just like we're realizing in Greek, that sometimes there's a word in Greek that we don't have a very good English translation for. So sometimes words are created to go ahead and help bridge that gap. And so the New Unger's Bible Dictionary states that the word Easter uh, is of Saxon origin. So Anglo-Saxons, they were during the Middle Ages period, they came in from Britain over in England. And so because it was of Saxon origin, Estra, the goddess of spring, in whose honor sacrifices were offered about the time of Passover every single year. And in the 8th century, the Anglo-Saxons adopted the name to designate the celebration of Christ's resurrection. So they say years before or after the fact that the Saxons adopted that name for the Christians' celebration of Christ's resurrection. 
another dictionary says that the word Easter actually was derived from a Germanic goddess, Estra, who was, which had a day held on the first full moon after the spring equinox. This was believed to be a pagan goddess of fertility, like what he was saying earlier. Therefore, they argue because the word, the name Easter, has its roots, and it seems like it from dictionaries and etymology online, that it has its roots from a pagan origin, that therefore Easter itself is pagan. And that's one of the arguments that they make. The second argument that people levy is the fact that the church borrowed the date of Easter from pagan celebrations about that time. That the Anglo-Saxons, when they celebrated one of their pagan goddesses, and there's different goddesses under different names about this same time period, the celebration took place during the spring equinox every year. And so during the spring equinox, which is the period of time when the sun, the light, and the darkness, part of the day is the same. Winter is going away, and now spring is coming in, so we're getting more sunlight again, that there is a celebration that takes place. They believe that it canceled out the dead of winter, and it ushered in a season of harvest, crops, fertility, and reproduction. In a Germanic account, the goddess was depicted as a hare, and so representing the beginning of the season. And those of you that are familiar with rabbits, hares, bunnies, things of that nature, they're, one of the things they're known for is the fact that they reproduce a lot. They're a symbol, if you will, of fertility. And that's why a lot of times when you look at some of these pagan goddesses, you're dealing with a pagan goddess of fertility, a lot of times they're symbolically represented as a bunny or there's a bunny there. There was one aspect where there was a pagan goddess who healed a wounded bird that she had found. She healed this bird by changing it into a hare. And while it was still partly a bird, the hare showed its gratitude by laying eggs as a gift. That is one myth around a pagan goddess by the name of Ostera, I believe is what, how you pronounce it. Also, it's a known fact that if Christ came, we'll say around 4 BC, there was a lot of cultures prior to the advent of Christ on earth that celebrated during the spring equinox. Just like we saw when we talked about Christmas during the winter solstice. There was a lot of cultures and civilizations that had celebrations around those particular time periods because they were very uh, influential, uh, the seasons were, in the civilizations. Those were, that's the second reason why some people will argue that Easter is pagan or has pagan roots because of the fact of uh, the same time frame that we celebrate Easter is the same time frame as the spring equinox. So basically we just stole the date. The third one, the fact that it's simply a retelling of a Sumerian legend predating Christianity. And so Christians just pretty much stole the story and just repackaged it into the umbrella of Christianity, if you will. Basically, Dr. Tony Nugent, who is a teacher of theology and religious studies at Seattle University. I know we got a couple people here from the state of lovely Washington. Uh, so I don't know, do you know Dr. Tony Nugent? Yes, you do not. Well, that's good. Well, Dr. Tony Nugent says that the Easter story we know of comes from the Sumerian legend of Tammuz and his wife Ishtar. 
basically this mythology is called the descent of Ishtar. Basically, what it was is it was supposedly discovered on cuneiform tablets, which is pretty much like clay tablets that were carved out in symbols. And it tells the story of an individual that, by the name of Tammuz, that dies. Tammuz dies and supposedly goes into the underworld. While Tammuz's wife, Ishtar, is really grief-stricken over the loss of her husband and follows Tammuz to the underworld. While in the underworld, Ishtar is killed and then hung on display. And so she died in the underworld as well. While she was absent from the earth, the earth sort of died. The crops stopped providing a yield, a harvest. Uh, You didn't have the sunlight, things like that. So all life on earth was going to end because Tammuz and Ishtar are no longer on the earth. They're in the underworld. Therefore, Ishtar was missing for three days, and apparently there is an assistant of Ishtar that pleaded with some other gods to resurrect Ishtar. As opposed to a resurrection, they allow Ishtar to come back to life for six months, and during those six months, Ishtar brought back the sunlight, brought back the crops, brought back the harvest cycle, things like that. After those six months, Ishtar had to go back in the underworld. And so it was a cycle of every six months, Ishtar would come back and rejuvenate, if you will, the earth. The argument's based on the fact that Christianity stole the story of Tammuz and Ishtar, repackaged it under Christianity, uh, putting Jesus Christ, if you will, as Ishtar, that was the sun, the light of the world. And that is one of the arguments they raise for that. These are basically a very concise summary of the arguments they make. The word Easter is pagan in its origin. The fact that Christians celebrate Easter on the same time as the spring equinox, which is a pagan uh, celebration festival for pagan goddesses. And then thirdly, that the Christian account of Easter was simply a retelling of the resurrection story, if you will, of Ishtar to bring life back to the earth, if you will. So... With that being the case, like I said, I wanted part of this to be about you all. And so this is where the microphone comes into play. So with the aspect of the word Easter is pagan in its origin, and therefore our Easter as we know it has pagan origins, is rooted in paganism. What do you have to say about it? What did you say about it? How would you argue against that? Anybody, anybody willing to speak in a microphone? No? Okay, well. Green light should be on, so I turned it on for you. I guess the first thing is I don't have to accept the premise. Okay. Um, and, I like uh, that word. And then if anything, I'll probably just start by acknowledging a little bit of what I was saying just to not fully cut them off. Could probably say that you, that you could probably come up with some reasons for Christmas to come up with some possibility of it being pagan. But the thing about Easter is that uh, you have actually uh, a time frame. Like the pagans weren't the only ones that followed the lunar cycle mm-hmm. um, or, or, or equinox or solstices, the, the Jews did too. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have the, the, the biblical record of, of, of their celebrations, of their mm-hmm. feasts, of Pentecost. And the, the Bible is pretty clear about the time frame that it took. It, it might have been based on a similar pattern to, to the same celebration for Ishtar, but the pagans are not the only ones that have the right to celebrate during mm. that time frame to Jews did too. 
And if you follow the timeline, then it'll fall into the day of the year yeah. that it does. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Anybody? Yes. Sarah. I guess you mentioned the root of Easter as possibly coming from um, the um, the Norse. Uh, Anglo, there, Anglo there's a couple Anglo-Saxons, German, okay. Germany, so if you will. So the the okay, the Saxons, perhaps, mm-hmm. um, the Germanic peoples, and then you also mentioned Sumerian. Is that correct? It there's a legend of Sumeria. The Ishtar comes right. from that culture. So which culture then is the root of Easter? Because they were not all, you know, the Sumerians predate the the yeah. Germanic and, and uh, Saxon peoples by quite a bit. And they, I mean, they would not have been familiar with Sumerian culture. Right. Maybe by osmosis over time of people moving mm. about, they could have had ideas, you know, yeah. things slowly working their way out of that part of the world to where they would have heard things that they mm-hmm. could have. Uh, that's that's yeah, an yeah. argument uh, oh, often yeah. in history that ideas and practices spread across places. Right. I don't know how much I totally, they'll just use that as like a blanket explanation. Right. Like, yes. Well, no, like literally someone had to bring it here. Someone else had to believe it. Right. They had to incorporate. There was a reason they would have had to incorporate that into what they were already doing, or it would have had to replace what they were already doing. Their yeah. power situations would have had to be, you know, political situations would have had to been going on for that to happen. Yeah. So I guess my thing is, if that is the root, which one then is the root of the (laughs) word Easter that the people, that the, the translators, yeah. Um, King James. Yeah. Men, they decided to replace that word, which in Spanish it's Pasqua, but it's Mm -hmm. from the Greek. Right. Right. Yep. They they decided to use the word Easter in that passage in mm-hmm. what in Acts I believe. In Acts chapter twelve I verse put, four. So why would they pick this word, put it there in that passage mm-hmm. for the Greek word for Passover, and then how can you say that it comes from these three different? Which one is it? Yes. No, that's so good. so you just basically are throwing out other theories, mm-hmm. other possibilities, but you haven't. You know, they're totally different ones. Yeah. And so which one is it? You yep. have the name Esther mm-hmm. in the Persian culture. Yes. Yeah. So it, it, one culture does not have monopoly on a certain sounding <laughs> yes. of, of names. Correct. So yes. I, I just, I just kind of would say that's good. Yeah. That's, that's not an open and shut argument. Yeah. You still haven't shown which one of these. And then how did they, how did it wind up working its way up to Europe? Yes. You know, so. It, yep. Anyway, that's, no, that's good. So y- you brought up an interesting fact because, yes, if you look in Acts chapter 12, verse number four, you'll come across the fact that, oh, you're fine. You'll come across the fact that uh, Peter is arrested and then Herod says he, he wants to keep Peter in prison uh, because of the Jews intending on releasing him after Easter. And so there's a, there's a discussion as far as Easter, you know, in the King James, whatever the case was. And really what's happening there is William Tyndale, who's the first one to create the Bible in English, wanted to go ahead and take the Greek word, Pascha, 
which simply meant Passover at that time. He wanted to find an English equivalent to that time period in which Herod had Peter. And so Wendell Tyndale was the one to use the word Easter because it was already an observed Christian practice to celebrate the resurrection during Easter. And he put the word Easter there to show after Easter is when he wanted to release uh, Peter, if you will. And so that was a good comment about that. Well, okay, hang on. Let me give you this. So what day is today? Let me see. Today is the National Hug Hug Your Dog Day, National Siblings Day, National Cinnamon Crescent Day, National Encourage Cinnamon a Young Crescent. Rider Day. So did they collude to try to claim the same day for the for the same purpose? Oh, so now all those seem to have pagan. Yep. I, no, that's good. Woody, did you have something real quick? And then we'll get Brian. Then we'll move on. Oh, hey, it's still green. Yeah. So, you know. I don't know about all these dialects and stuff, but one thing I do know, Jesus Christ um, and Passover, um, coming up on Good Friday, his death, burial, resurrection, has nothing to do with bunnies or eggs. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, But I do know one thing for sure is the commercialization right. and you know the money that is made by a lot of people by selling items every yeah. holiday. And they put them out earlier and earlier, by the way, which that's <laughs> yeah. a whole other discussion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anyways, but uh, when it comes right down to it, yeah, there, there was a period of time where a lot of walks of life were trying to associate and Christianize a lot of things, you know, those, yeah. those medieval days and certain things with the Saxons and, mm-hmm. you know, all sorts of, you know, the pagan, heathen uh, traditions and walks mm-hmm. of life. Um, but, you know, it doesn't matter. So, yeah, <laughs> and the reason right. it doesn't matter you're is because right. the substance of it all mm-hmm. is that Christ did um, live or Jesus lived, he died, yep. was buried and rose three days later. Yep. And, and that's no different than like me celebrating. So I was born in February, February 24th. So if anybody <gasps> wants to listen online and send me gifts, you can do that. Um, but anyway, what year? Uh, 82. And what's so, the last four years? So I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> be, be positive with my blood type and no, um, the, the deal that I'm getting at or the point I'm trying yeah. to make is if I celebrated my birthday in October, doesn't mean I never had a birthday. Right. Doesn't mean that, that, you know, so where the rubber meets the road is there's facts, yeah. things transpired. When we celebrate it, what we call it, it really does not matter. Yeah. Now, the fact that we have bunnies and eggs, no. yeah, that doesn't dilute necessarily what transpired during that period yeah. of time, but it does distract. Yeah. And No, that's true. Yep. When it comes it right distracts. down to it, you got to choose within yeah. your own heart and your family and how you go about that thing yeah. uh, on Easter to where you're going to point and vector your focus, time, and energy. Because, totally uh, right. you know, Satan's in the, you know, you know, uses a little bit of truth and then fills in the rest. Yeah. And uh, that's where it gets dangerous. So yeah. um, a lot of these cultures always trying to fill in and uh, the, um, was it the integrity of the story? And the documents that we have for the scriptures is far in excess than the um, hand-me-down tales of goddesses going into the underworld and living it up and then dying and then coming back to help me. So I got corn on my plate, you know, it's just ridiculous. But anyway, that's all I got to say. One thing I loved what you said there was, so what? You know, a lot of times as Christians, you know, when we hear a critic try to bring a charge against Christianity and our faith, so many times we get so defensive. So what? 
So what if we celebrate Easter on the same exact day some pagan goddess was celebrated? So what? What are the facts of it? And yeah, I'm going to talk about documents of antiquity here in a minute, so it's interesting you brought that up. Brian, did you have something? Is the light green? It is. Thanks. So I, had a, I had a question, but Woody started a point that I was actually going to make also, so yeah. I'll just go off of that train of thought. So, yes, absolutely. Uh, the difference between Christ's story and these other pagan um, stories are uh, Christ, there is a literal historical Christ, or Jesus at least, right. that is confirmed by Josephus and Tacitus and a bunch of other historians yes. as well. So the conversation can be started with, he, he was a physical person, whether you want to admit it or not. That's good, yeah. And it's, the question is just, is the tomb empty or not? I mean, that's another discussion that we can have. But a lot of times when people make those arguments, like that we don't know when Christ was born or died, I'll you know, echo that. So what? Because yeah. historical societies, you know, before we had the amount of entertainment that we have, mm-hmm. everybody lived and died by their festivals, and they loved their yeah. festivals. Whether or not, and, and that's the Romans also feared messing with people's festivals. When they took over yep. a people, not only did they take their, um, you know, their gods and their, their, their um, you know, practices, but they like, don't mess with their festivals. Yep. Let them have whatever they need to. And then when Christianity came in after, mm-hmm. you know, um, Rome was Christianized, right. they also did not want to mess with people's festivals. That, and the time frame. Mm-hmm. So yes, technically they stole the April time frame for when these things were, um, or when these festivals were, were held, yeah. and just said, "We're going to you know honor the res- resurrection of Christ because okay. yes, you believe in this now. We've converted you know, whatever region it was, so maybe right. it was from not the actual um, origin of, the, of Christ's story, right. but the actual time that we celebrate it because." The Bible just doesn't explicitly say this is when he died or when he, when he was um, born. Um, but the question that I had was, you mentioned when William Tyndall, mm-hmm. I, I did not know that the word Easter was in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in like one or two translations. When William Tyndall put the word Easter in there to say he was crucified after Easter well, or, no, whatever, he, or whatever, whatever no, no, happened no, It was Easter. the fact that Peter was arrested and he didn't want to release Peter until after oh, Easter. Oh, that's it, yeah. So when William Tyndall used the word Easter, mm-hmm. what context was he using the word Easter? What was his understanding in order to translate into Easter? So what many people believe is his translation of the Greek word Pascha is the fact that Pascha uh, to many people is the fact that it, it identifies Passover, period. So you have Passover, and then the very next day you have seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so there's a lot of people that argue that Passover, the Greek word Pashka, is simply a word that's used for uh, Passover, if you will, in Paschal, right? And so he was looking at that, and because this was after the Passover date that he wanted to release Peter later, it had to have been after Easter, and that's how he used the word Easter in that translation. There's a lot more to it. I'm not doing justice as far as the English use of that word. But, but then again, but, when you say it after Easter, mm-hmm. what is William Tyndale's understanding of the word Easter? William Easter. Tyndale's understanding of Easter was the resurrection. So maybe it's just a celebration of the resurrection? Maybe they, were they celebrating it? Yes, because that, as far as the early church? Well, we do know that 
Well, we do know the fact that in the early church, they did organize corporately on the first day of the week. It was Sunday, the Lord's Day, Resurrection Day. As far as the the celebration of Easter during the day of Paul, that I don't know so much yet right now. I'd have to dig more into antiquity uh, to see whether Josephus writes about it. But there are some letters that are written by those opposed to Christianity that do argue Uh, Not necessarily Easter per se, but the gathering on that particular day because it was the day of resurrection. That much I could uh, account for. uh, The the reason for my confusion, I'm sorry, I don't mean to anchor us down. Because in the three arguments that you you opened with, you Mm -hmm. mentioned the first one was Easter, the the etymology or origin of Easter. That's only where we're at right now. We haven't touched the other two yet. But but then the reason that I can't connect it in my brain is because Uh if William Tyndall is translating it in his time... Mm -hmm. And if Easter is technically a pagan origin of some kind, why would William Tyndall use a pagan origin word? Well, simply put, for... and let, I'll, I'll get to that, actually. I'm okay. actually going to get to that. So, yeah. So, basically, so we had a lot of great input here on this first one as far as the they use the word Easter, saying because it's pagan origins, that's why the roots of Easter is pagan in its origin. Number one, the first thing I point out is the fact that this is a fallacy. This is a fallacious argument. This is called invalid inference argument. Basically, it says that just because both of the premises are true, the fact that, okay, maybe Easter was pagan in its word origin. And maybe, yes, the church did use the word Easter to talk about the resurrection. The conclusion they're drawing that it's pagan, that is an invalid inference. So both premises could be true, but the conclusion could be wrong, saying that the conclusion, that's the only conclusion there could be. For instance, dogs like to bark at kids, right? Dogs like to bark at kids. When my kids were little, I liked to bark at my dogs. Both of those premises are true. Does that mean I am a dog? No, that does not mean that is what's known as an invalid inference. And that's a logical fallacy. And that's just one of the things being done here. And so basically, if if Easter was a pagan holiday, if Easter was born, uh, represented Christianity as paganism, and if the arguments made that we should change the word Easter simply because of the fact that Easter itself, the word may come from pagan roots, then we got to change our days of the week. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. All of those have pagan origins in the word itself. Basically, all it is is words define the reality in our world today. They're just words to define. And words evolve over time. For instance, in the book of Job, it talks about unicorns. And some people laugh about that. Say, ha ha, there are no unicorns. You know, my little pony type deal. But... If you looked at the word unicorn closer to when the King James translation was made, the word unicorn simply was defined at that point as an animal with one horn. And there's a lot of animals, some that are extinct, that we can see, plus the narwhal is one clear example of a one-horned animal. But now if you look at the word unicorn in a dictionary today, it's going to say it's a magical or mythical creature, right? And so words evolve over time, and that's one of the things with Easter as well is we're just using a word to identify, really, if you will, our reality and our surroundings around it. The basis of the word's origin doesn't define the doctrine or the beliefs of those that typically use it. And so if I use the word Easter and I'm being charged that I'm celebrating a pagan holiday because I'm celebrating Easter, 
that's fallacious because my entire celebration is based on the resurrection of Christ and only around that. I'm doing nothing pagan in my celebration. I'm just using a word that's in our modern vernacular to go ahead and identify what am I doing because to the common tongue in English, that's what people understand Easter to be. And so if you were to look at the word Easter today, the primary definition is going to be the celebration of the resurrection of Christ. But if you look at it earlier, it could have had its roots in pagan origins. But we could talk a lot more about that, and I can recommend a lot of good resources to discuss William Tyndale as well. But I do want to cover the last two and get y'all's input also. So the second one is the fact that the church borrowed the date of Easter uh, from pagan celebrations. The fact that Easter, the only reason why the Christian church celebrates Easter is because we took the pagan roots of the spring equinox and we just repackaged it into Christianity as the timing of it. And so what would anybody say about that or has heard about that? Anything? Does it even matter? I mean, I like, I mean, all, all of these we could say like, so what? But, but what would you say about that? Like, oh, Easter is pagan because during the equinox, pagans celebrated their goddesses. What is all about well, it? Uh, I will say the festival uh, piece is very true, right? And um, people, and you know, you can wind this all the way back and peel back the layers of the onion, but human beings need purpose and meaning. And that's the way we were created, period, dot. Even right. the person that wants to, you know, abandon all meaning in their life, right? Um, but we look at these time periods and when spring's coming around and yeah. everything like that, um, the person you know, there was different class of people in those days too. So the understanding and the life that certain individuals lived Mm -hmm. and the, um, you know, what's it called? Verbal, um, passing down stuff verbally, you know, um, yeah, yeah. Oral tradition and things that, that these people would, would use. Yeah. I mean, they had all sorts of different things that they would uh, experience and share and, Mm -hmm. you know, as time marched on. But, um, as far as it, you know, being in the springtime and all that, um, the, um, oh, what is it? The, uh, the feast, the Jewish feasts and stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. The, so those are, um, a good, ah, oh, man, I don't, I don't got the, the dates nailed down, but there, there's association and, uh, a helpful timetable to give yes, you, um, is. a scope at least mm-hmm. to understand and see what was being set up, you yes. know? And so it's almost prophetic, uh, at least the time that, uh, yeah, the time of year and the calendar being used. Yes. So, you know, there's there's other angles and perspective. Yeah. Um, and most of these arguments are just lazy because people are just trying to justify no meaning in their life that's while true. trying to yeah. find meaning, which they're always still trying to find meaning. So yeah. and that's the way we're created. So, uh, yep. yeah, there's that. Anybody else? Bill. Well, I always fall back on historicity. Okay. Um, maybe that's just the way I'm I'm wired. Uh-huh. But it, it's not just the Bible that's documenting this. It's it's all of the other sources outside of the Bible. Mm. Um, uh, with the, the well, even with the Romans that I know of, and I mean, you guys mentioned some others, and I think y'all hinted at the the history of all of this that's documented from folks other Antiquity. than the the yep. Jews. Yep. And everything major that happened in the world of the Jews happened on the feasts anyway. Yep. And all of that stuff is prophetic. And um you've got their the feasts are called a holy convocation in yep. some translations, but they're also rehearsals mm-hmm. uh for things. So I mean this yeah. goes back way before the event actually happened. 
So, yeah. I mean, I, yep. I tend to fall back on that. No, and that's a good point, too, because when you look at it, when you get into the book Exodus, you get into the book of Leviticus, God actually appoints what day of the Hebrew month and what 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 day of the Hebrew month to go ahead and celebrate this type of feast or that feast. So whether it's Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Unleavened Bread, whatever the case was. As well as Passover is concerned, even in the Exodus, there is a, rec- a requirement to celebrate the Passover for when the de- death angel passed over the house on when to celebrate. It was the 14th month of the Hebrew, 14th day of the Hebrew month of Nisan. And so every year the Jewish people would celebrate Passover the same time. And then because God commanded the Feast of Unleavened Bread to take place right afterwards, you had Passover, and then you had the Seven Days of Unleavened Bread. So you really had an eight-day festival, if you will. And that happened well before Christ even came here on earth. It happened back well into the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus and Exodus. And so these dates have already been established uh, pretty early on in uh, the Jewish history as well. Yeah, what's up, Bill? One more thing. The Jews are on a lunar calendar, too, so the yep. dates float. Yeah. I, I find it hard to believe that the, the naysayers, that they're on the same calendar and their dates are floating, you know, in lockstep with what the, right. the Jews are. I mean, I guess possibly they could, but, I mean, the dates float. And that's why yeah. Easter, if you will, floats, and it's never the same day each mm-hmm. year. Yep, and and that's, I didn't bring it up, but that's one of the things they try to bring up in this argument is because uh, they look at the fact that these ancient cultures and civilizations have a calendar based on the lunar cycle, and hey, so did the Jewish people because God ordained it that way. And so as opposed to our 30-day, 31-day month, they have a 28-month roughly cycle, and they actually have a new moon festival that they celebrate every month when there's a new moon in the sky. And so this is not something unique to other cultures. This is something the Jewish people have practiced. Genesis 1 even gives the clarity of that as well. And so what's interesting about this argument, though, is, again, this is a logical fallacy. This is a fallacious argument. Not only is it invalid inference like we had already talked about, because, yes, Easter is celebrated around the time of the spring equinox, though not on the spring equinox. We could maybe posit that to be true. And we could say, yes, the spring equinox was celebrated in pagan religions. However, comma, again, the conclusion doesn't necessarily have to follow. But the other thing is it can also be what's known as a propositional fallacy. So when you're formulating an argument, you have your premises and then a conclusion. So like I said, with this one, the premise is the spring equinox was celebrated in pagan religions. That's a true premise. The second premise, the church celebrates Easter on the, on the spring equinox. That's false. That's, an, that's a uh, propositional fallacy because the church does not celebrate Easter on the spring equinox. And I can prove it this year because the spring equinox, according to the Almanac, occurred on March 20th of this year. Easter's not until April 17th. And so even still, we do not celebrate the pagan uh, holiday of uh, spring equinox with that. But even, I'll get one second, okay? Even if we do accept that, uh, what's interesting is with, uh, uh, where was I? I don't know. Let's go to Will real quick because I, it was like, I, you just lost me there, buddy. 
No, it's funny. Like even the argument is even so fallacious because they're arguing on two different calendars. You're arguing on the lunar calendar for for the festivals for mm-hmm. Easter, and then for the equinox, you're using a an actual solar calendar. So it yeah. doesn't. So there's no conclusion of them matching perfectly either. So and that's where a lot of times, like I say, it's around Christmas and Easter, where a lot of these critics they all of a sudden become doctorates in religious mythologies all of a sudden but they don't know half of what they're talking about. And like I said before, I want to preach a sermon that's called Chewing Cud because if you understand what cows do is they eat the grass and then they swallow it and they regurgitate it and then they eat it again. They're basically chewing cud. And a lot of times with all these arguments, they're just regurgitating information, information that is very poorly developed and understood. I don't claim to know all this stuff, but like I said, with apologetics, if the arguments are solid... The arguments are solid, and truth doesn't, doesn't change no matter the time, location, culture. Truth is truth regardless. But, uh, like I said, when we look into the biblical record of Easter, Christianity's origins of Easter is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not on the spring equinox, not on anything else. We see the, uh, the apostles assemble on the first day of the week because that was the Lord's day, that was the day of the resurrection. That's why we have service on Sundays as well. Plus, uh, on Jesus' death on the Passover, his rising on the third day, uh, we understand that through history. Also, it's actually uh, prophetically uh, given in the Old Testament as well. But what's interesting is most people don't know is the fact that when to celebrate Easter in the Christian church, that was actually hotly debated within the early church. Did you understand that? Did you know that? So in the early church, there was a discussion and a debate as far as when do we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So some people believe to celebrate it on the Passover. Some people, uh, it's the group called the Quarto Decimans, meaning 14th. They were a group of Christians in Asia Minor, which is in Turkey, if you will, in Syria. They believe the resurrection should be celebrated on the same time as eating the Passover meal. And that's when they wanted to celebrate Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Early church fathers that seemed to have held that view was Polycarp, who was a dis- disciple of John, Eusebius, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, and Tertullian. And if you understand early church history, those are some of the giants in the early church faith. However, those in the Western world around Rome celebrated Jesus' resurrection on the Sunday following uh, the Passover. And so according to Rome, it was under Pope Victor I who threatened to excommunicate the Quartz of Decimans around the end of the second century uh, if they didn't change. And that's sort of why in the origins there was a debate on when do we celebrate Easter as a church universally. Not when did it occur, but when as a church do we celebrate it. And There was a debate early on until Rome said, no, we celebrate it after Passover when Christ actually resurrected. And that's why we celebrate it to that, this day in the Western Church as well. This is actually discussed in the Council of Nicaea in 325 when the Catholic Church decreed that it would be that first Sunday after the Passover moon. 
The dating of the celebration of Easter has nothing to do with pagan roots. It's all based upon the fact that it's a literal historical event that Jesus Christ died as our Passover lamb resurrected three days later. And we're celebrating his resurrection and not anything pagan in its origin. And like we already looked at, whether it's the Passover, whether it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, those dates were already well established well before Christ incarnated around 4 B.C. The last one, the accounts of a Sumerian legend predate Christianity, and Christianity just repackaged that legend into a resurrection of Christ. Again, we've already talked about the documents of antiquity, if you will. We've already somewhat spoken about this. But I do want to bring up Ezekiel chapter 8, because like I said, I can never do any sort of teaching, preaching whatsoever without having some aspect of Scripture. And I know Gabe and Oscar have already tried to give me grief over it. So I got you, buddy, right here. Ezekiel chapter 8. And I'll read it. It's just two verses. When we did our study through Ezekiel, these were interesting verses that we ended up uh, talking about. This was during the time period when God is giving Ezekiel a vision of all the abominations in the land of Israel that were happening. Started on the outside and he's working his way inward to the temple compound in the temple courtyard. And he says in Ezekiel chapter 8 verses 13 and 14, and he said also unto me, turn thee yet again and thou shalt see greater abominations that they do. Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. And so in scripture, there's a historical account that there were Jewish women that had a practice in the temple of weeping for Tammuz, this Sumerian goddess, if you will, that they argue, hey, we got our Easter celebration because of this account. Again, we've already looked at the fact that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical documented a case. Uh, let me ask you this. How many people have heard of what's known as the minimal facts of the resurrection made famous by Gary Habermas? Have you ever heard me teach about it as far as what facts are there that we know of that most people agree, skeptics and non-skeptics alike, of the resurrection have Okay, so maybe we'll do that our last class. So we're going to talk about that. But, so, even if there's an account from a return of Ishtar, the wife of Tammuz, coming from the underworld, it doesn't, again, necessitate that Christianity stole the legend, if you will, or the myth of Ishtar and used Jesus Christ in it. That's, again, what's known as the invalid inference. Nor does it matter that because they say the Sumerian legend predates Christianity, and so Christianity, people would argue, happened at the birth of the church, at Pentecost, right? And so the Sumerian legend, if it was around 2000 B.C., well, that's about 2,000 years before the birth of the church. So since it happened before the birth of the church, it's older, so that's where it came from. That's called a genetic fallacy. They're basically arguing that whatever is oldest is most accurate. And that's where everything comes from. There's a classic example to speak against this fallacy. Has anybody ever read a book by the name of Futility, The Wreck of the Titan? There was a book written, I believe it was in the 1800s, if I'm not mistaken, that there was the largest ocean liner ever created that went on a maiden voyage across the ocean that ended up sinking because it struck an iceberg. What boat am I talking about? 
This is a fictional novel. This happened well before the Titanic, actually 14 years before the Titanic. And according to the author, this was just a fictional novel. And the fact that almost every single detail of the novel is what we see in the Titanic is a genetic fallacy to say, see, the story of the Titanic was just pulled from the wreck of the Titan. Futility, because it predates it. Huh? And they, nobody read the book. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And so... This, again, what I want you to see is each of these arguments are fallacious. They're riddled with improper thinking, wrong arguments, whether it's premises that aren't true, conclusions that are improperly uh, drawn just because maybe the premises were true. Also, realize that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was prophesied in the Old Testament. And so if anybody says, oh, this happens before the birth of the church, and therefore the church stole this legend? That's not true. Because in Psalm, Psalm chapter uh, 16, verse 10, the psalmist writes regarding Messiah that you will not leave my soul in Sheol. You also get in Isaiah chapter 53 with the suffering servant. You get that aspect of it, that 700 B.C., around uh, about 700 years before Jesus Christ came. And then also during the, during the advent of Jesus Christ, he prophesied Jonah was a clear picture of his resurrection. And he even taught about it as far as the temple. You know, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it back up. They thought he was talking about the temple of uh, Herod but he was, or Solomon, uh, whatever the case was, but he was talking about his body. There are plenty of Old Testament prophecies of a resurrection of Jesus Christ before Jesus Christ even set foot in the flesh on this earth in 4th B.C. Also, looking all the way back to Isaac, and Matt talked about it last week, the offering of Isaac was a type of Christ that Abraham, a father, was willing to sacrifice his son and that's believed to have occurred somewhere around 2054 B.C. And so, if we're saying the Sumerians wrote it maybe at 2000, the account of the typology of Jesus Christ and Isaac would predate that even. So maybe the Sumerian legend stole it from Abraham and Isaac's story. You know, you could even argue that. But even a while back, if you haven't seen it, check it out. We talked about the Jesus pagan myth. Uh, I forget what the title was. But we looked at the fact that people argue pagan gods pretty much have the same traits, same accounts of Jesus Christ. Birth in December, you know, resurrection and all these other things, dead miracles and whatnot. Dionysus turned water to wine, which is not accurate. And so just because someone may argue that there's a similarity, like Woody said, number one, so what? Number two, when you're looking at all these legends with Tammuz, although that was written on a cuneiform tablet, but you're looking at uh, uh, the Estri goddesses and all these other goddesses, you'll be hard-pressed to find any document in antiquity that actually talks about these. Even when you're looking at legends and mythologies and fables, when we look at Mithra and we talk about Mithra, there's like five different accounts of Mithra. Nobody knows what they agree on with the cult of Mithra. And so you still have all that. But what you end up finding out when you look at all these supposed religious parallels, they're not parallels at all. They're quite different from what the account of Jesus Christ has. 
So, the skeptics claim Easter is pagan, it was born out of paganism, is untrue and unfounded. It's riddled with logical fallacies. The fact that the name Easter is etymologically pagan and therefore Easter itself is rooted in paganism is the invalid inference fallacy. Again, premises might be true, but the conclusion is inaccurate. The church borrowed the date of Easter from pagan celebrations. Again, number one, there is a difference of opinion. Number two, these festivals and feasts were already commanded by God well before the advent of the church. And then number three, the accounts of a Sumerian legend predate uh, the church, if you will. And therefore, uh, the older one is most accurate, and that's known as the correlation fallacy as well. And that is totally uh, fallacious, and we already talked about that. So in the end, they're all riddled with fallacies, and they're all unfounded because people aren't doing their job as far as researching and trying to understand the arguments they're making, and they're simply chewing cud and regurgitating simple information. But again, like I said before, I'll say it a thousand times, if we do get into discussions with some of these people and they want to bring up this argument, these cases, I would encourage you to ask one simple question. If all the evidence pointed to Jesus Christ being the Savior and Christianity being true, would you believe? If they say no, you're wasting your time with them. If they say, I don't know, maybe, okay, there might be some ground to, you know, till and work. But if they're so hard-headed, they're like, nope, there's no way. Why do you even have to give them an answer to anything? Because the moment we misspeak about something, oh, they'll use it against us. Just look at all the videos they have of me from C4C. You go to atheist websites and YouTube channels, you can find me all over the place where they're trying to make fun of me and ridicule my argument, stuff like that. And so if someone's like that, why waste your breath? Woody? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yep. So, so that, that's just that's my view on it. I get that from Frank Turk, a cross-examined apologist, and I think it's great. So, with that, I appreciate everybody speaking into the microphone and, and chiming in. If you're listening online, let us know in the comments if that was a lot better of a format. And with that, I just close word of prayer. And then next Sunday, we will not have evening service because it's Easter. But then the Sunday after that, we'll most likely look at the minimal facts of the resurrection, which was made famous by Gary Habermas. So, let us pray. You got it. Thank you for this uh, discussion. Thank you for all the contributions everybody has made. Thank you for the fact that we can know that Jesus Christ not only died, but he rose again, and because he conquered the grave, uh, we can be overcomers and victorious as well. And so, Lord, I thank you for the truthfulness of the resurrection and the celebration of Easter. So allow us this Easter to uh, just realize that it's not found in the candy and the eggs and the rabbits, but it's found in a relationship and a victorious uh, life of you so lord allow us not to have that lose that focus and allow us to just speak that truth to a lost and dying world in jesus name we pray amen amen